The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. Ha! You saved me again! What's this? A local. Let's get out of here before more droids show up. More? More did you speak? Excuse me, the most if bestest show would be the Dark Times Podcast. Welcome back to this Dark Times Podcast with your hosts, Sam and Steven. Hello. As always, every week, we have brought you uh, the rest of our unfinished business from last week. (laughs) No, uh, uh, droids are a sprawling world of their own, and at uh, the encouragement of, I think, a few community members, and I think just our own thoughts... Uh, we wanted to to take this time in this episode to talk even more on droids, because there's more out here, believe it or not. Uh, Sam, you wanted to kick us off with droid quirks, right? Yes. So, um, if you're a, a GM in SAG Edition, you've probably used, like, oh, this droid has a hiccup, or something like HK-47. Yeah. Statement. I hate humans, or yeah, something like that. exactly. <laughs> Meatbags. Um, SAG Edition has... Happily written in that in rule, rules is written mm-hmm. quirks for droids. Uh, it's really cool. It's a big, big table, uh, kind of smack dab in the middle of the scavenger's guide to droids. Um, there's a lot here that kind of just explains a lot of what you already know about droid quirks and what you can imagine about droid quirks in the universe. There's a lot of DCs and numbers here and different checks you can do to get rid of these quirks. But I think what we want to do is highlight the quirks themselves because these are great to bust out anytime you need kind of a, well, quirky, weird used droid for the party. Or even you can select these for your player character droid. Basically, free lease rules is written to be as annoying as possible at the time. <laughs> or memorable as possible. Yeah, yeah. Those definitely go hand in hand. Steven, what's cool about droid quirks is that you can roll for a random one. Oh, using sweet. Using 2d20. Should we do that now? Yeah, let's go for it. Fuck yeah. All right, 2d20. Here we go. All right, I got 28. 28. So 15 and 13. So 28 is loyal. Oh, that's pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the software quirk. The droid has unshakable loyalty to its master or another organic entity. It embarrasses its owner with its concern for his or her well-being. Or there even. You know, I, I know I know a few people like that. Yeah. Uh, you, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> Give me another one. All right, let's roll again. I want a cool one. Okay, let's get a cool one. 23 and uh, 17. 20. Easily distracted. This one's great. Oh, yeah. The droid is easy to distract from a given task. The droid must resist a 1d20 <laughs> plus 5 attack against this will defense when attempting tasks that take longer than a 4-round action <laughs> to complete. A successful attack results in the droids jumping to the next task or becoming distracted by something in its immediate surroundings. Does this give the droid ADHD? <laughs> Attention deficit uh, droid disorder. <laughs> So I first thing I thought of when I heard that pit droids episode one, yes, for sure, absolutely, they're absolutely. They, doing those that. shit, those little shits are always fucking around. They're climbing into engines. They're getting blown out. They're going, <laughs> you know, maybe that was a little too goofy. It was very much goofy, and also it was funny. Wow, <laughs> can you give me one more for good measure? Yeah, sure. Let's roll again. Okay, that's a seven and an eight. Wow, was that fifteen again? Did we already? No, we did not do fifteen. Oh, okay. oh, oh, oh shit. Cool. Short circuit. The droid suffers from short circuits in its processors, which occasionally disrupt its speech, movement, or skill use for one round. Occasionally. How do you decide that? That's not very crunchy, I guess. (laughs) I want to try one more time. 
Okay, that's a 17 and a 19 for 36. Suspicious. The droid doesn't trust an individual, a corporate or government entity, or some other group, no matter how much its masters or others attempt to convince it otherwise. It treats the object of its suspicions as unfriendly at best. Wow. Wow, there you go. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> What's cool about software, there's the, there's the software quirks and the hardware quirks. Yeah. What's cool about software quirks is they can be pretty much solved with a memory wipe. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, Just like people. You know, like lobotomy. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like lobotomy, Steven. That's fine. <laughs> you should. I want to apply. Um, would you apply quirks to uh, player characters with cybernetics? Honestly, it, depending on like the circumstances in which they got their cybernetics, like if it was from maybe a kind of a shady Ripper Doc kind of back alley <laughs> style, yeah, then. Probably, especially if they have a, had a cybernetic that affected their brain. Yeah. Um, generally, no, though. <laughs> that sounds like cruel. Because <laughs> like when it's a droid, you know, they are objects. No matter yeah. how they act, they are. So I can be mean to them as much as I want. Of course. They're just <laughs> pieces of metal, Sam. But when it's like a, a person, like a sentient, fleshy being that has these things wrong with them because of something that's been installed in their brain, that, I mean... Perfect for a cyberpunk setting if you want to do like an underworld Narshada situation. Yeah, there we go. Kind of cool. Um, especially get some really, really cheap cybernetics. They're guaranteed to have a random quirk. Your Hutties brain implant uh, get, makes you speak in certain cadences <laughs> or like laugh like Jabba the Hutt for no reason. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Yeah, let's go get a drink. <laughs> God, that's good. That's great. Uh, here's another interesting one. This one actually has like mechanical, like like bearings. The hardware, um, hardware quirk, faulty wiring. Droid's wiring is in bad condition. When the droid moves down the condition track as a result of damage that exceeds its damage threshold, the condition becomes persistent until repaired. And we all know that persistent conditions are sticky, nasty. You cannot recover them just from the three swift action recovery actions. Uh, they have to be, you know, whatever the persistent condition requires. In this case, repairs. Um, you said that software quirks can be done with a memory wipe. How can we get rid of hardware quirks? Uh, it, isn't it a mechanics DC to repair? I That's believe? what it looks like. Hardware quirks can be removed by replacing or repairing the faulty system. Repairing droid quirks is notoriously difficult. If the repair check does not exceed the mechanics DC by 10 or more, the new system works, but the droid quirk or similar droid quirk returns 1d12 days later i love that that's really fun and don't tell your players no, that. do either. not tell your players that <laughs> if if it does not exceed by 10 or more do not tell them that um that absolutely should be a surprise um <laughs> as far as the it says like replacing the hardware associated with the hardware quirk does that would that just be the dcs for like installing different droid systems yeah but you'd have to pay for the yeah the pay for the replacement again, yeah. of course um it makes me wonder with like faulty wiring, like there, there's no like wiring droid system where you think you just guess, uh, make you probably up. just have to do a normal repair for it. Right? Yeah, like probably it's, it's like it's DC not, 20 or it's something. It's not an accessory or a droid system. You're right. The internal wiring of the droid. Yeah. 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 Probably just a normal repair check then in that case and maybe take, I don't know, 300 credits from him. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say like 500, but 300, yeah, 300 500 know. depends on the droid. I'd say. Yeah. My fucking pit droid does not get 500 credits worth of my care no no he doesn't get the extra insulation on the wiring <laughs> you know that you know some cars have like a soy based insulation that rats like to eat 
Really? So if like a rat gets into your engine with your if your car is left sitting long enough, they will eat the insulation because it's edible to them. <laughs> I think that's incredible. I don't I, think it's common anymore, but yeah, yeah. I, I imagine that would have been something they would have quickly rectified. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> rat food insulation. Enough about droid quirks, Steven. Enough, enough, about, enough about rat food, Steven. <laughs> I'm always talking about rat food. Uh, can you imagine how much of the rat food talk I have to cut out of this podcast every Dude, week? hours of rat food. <laughs> I should just start a rat food podcast at this rate. What's cool about droids, we talked about droid traits last week. Yeah. Uh, you know, non-living. Yeah, just like a dozen disease, things or so that, that droids all have in common with each other. And uh, optional, there are a bunch of optional rules. For droids, which oh, is cool. really cool. I love optional rules. One of the optional rules, uh, well, of course, all optional rules are kind of game master approval. Of course. Basis. You know, you can't just roll up with a, a droid with an optional rule already attached to it. <laughs> One optional rule is sacrificial appendage. Oh, what does that entail? When a droid would normally be reduced to zero hit points or moved to the bottom of the kitchen track, the droid can choose instead to have one of its limbs severed. If the droid chooses this option, it is instead moved to the minus four step on the condition track, or in the case of being reduced to zero hit points, it retains one hit point. The sacrificed appendage should be a limb rather than a tool that the droid can easily do without. The appendage can be successfully reattached with repair, receiving hit points as usual. Well, that's pretty neat. Yeah. Um, Boy, would I hate to see an, an astromech missing a full leg, though. That <laughs> just sounds awful. He's just rolling around on the floor? <laughs> oh, man. But, you know, I guess when it's like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Better alternative to death. When it's like a protocol droid, something like, you know, humanoid shaped. I guess it's not so bad. You probably didn't recognize me because of the red arm. <laughs> yeah. Is what comes to mind. Um, does this, so does that mean like, uh, what is it? Empire Strikes Back. C-3PO just being a pile of parts. Yeah. <laughs> that would be an optional rule. <laughs> all sacrificial, all I, sacrificial appendages. I guess so. Although I, I kind of think of that like he was definitely like disabled. No, he was talking with just his head, remember? Oh, that's true, that's true. He just turned his head back on. That's true. Yeah, he he's was, de- that was definitely some sacrificial appendage shit going on. Every time I think of that, uh, he puts him in a, Chewie puts him in, like, a bag, right? I love that weird sack it's that like Chewie weird, just stuffs him in. It reminds me of, like, a, like a soccer ball sack, you it know? It does, it's, it's like, like a yeah, mesh. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like his mesh, like, soccer practice bag. Uh, there's also an optional rule for destroyed droids. Oh, interesting. Taking into account the method of destruction, the game master determined what parts of a droid remain after it is destroyed. Blaster fire or an explosion might scatter small and large pieces around the area. A droid destroyed by a lightsaber by half slices or holes burned into its chassis, or large sections of the droid's appendages might be completely severed. The game master should also determine which of the droid's systems, accessories, appendages, or tools are damaged or destroyed. Oh, I see. This is far less of a optional rule, then it's just, like, giving the Game Master free lease to determine what parts remain after it Which you should destroyed. be doing yeah, already, Yeah, you probably should do that anyway, because that just makes sense, but it's good that they have it written out here for us. But, also, reactivating a destroyed droid, which I oh. find this interesting. Cool, cool. At the Game Master's discretion, a character can attempt to salvage or reactivate a destroyed droid. A reactivating a droid requires that its processor, power source, and communication interface must be intact. Oh, like C-3PO. Yeah. Okay, cool. The battery and communication interface must be replaced or replicated if needed. A destroyed droid cannot reactivate itself. The character attempting the reactivation must make a DC-20 mechanics check and work on the droid for five minutes. I assume that has to be trained. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. I think you can't make untrained mechanics checks, right? Um, no, um, not ch- like you use computer with routine, uh... 
Mechanics is trained only. Trained only for, for all, all mechanics. Yeah. There we go. Mm-hmm. A character can attempt to reactivate a droid as a four-round action, increasing the DC to 30. Wow, that's cool. Hey, that's kind of nice. If the check is successful, the droid moves plus one step on the condition track. However, the droid is still considered to have zero hit points and cannot move, attack, or take any action other than skill checks for skills based on intelligence, wisdom, or charisma. Well, I like that. That's pretty clutch. I imagine a really hard encounter, you know, maybe the party's under heavy fire while they're trying to escape in their space transport from whatever assailant of the week they're facing. Um, the, the, uh, the party scout or the party just mechanic in general can bend down, slam that droid back together so he can, you know, carry him off. Maybe next turn, throw in a quick repair there to get those hit points up and then you're in. I love the con. So what's cool about this is you're at zero hit points. Yeah. But you can still do charisma based skill checks. Very weird. Um, <laughs> that's C-3PO without us, which is his head. You're there right. He was talking and bitching and moaning <laughs> that whole time. Uh, even though he, you know, definitely appeared to have zero hit points, he was completely at Chewbacca's mercy. He was literally a backpack. He was helpless. Yeah, he was he helpless. He was the condition track. Probably maybe didn't have zero hit points. Yep. Absolutely. He can just only make uh, those sort of skill checks. We got one more here that I actually did not know about. And uh, mind if I read it? Go for it. Cool. So we got salvaging a destroyed droid. Salvaging a destroyed droid requires a toolkit, time, spare parts, and additional mechanics checks. A reactivated droid can assist in its own repairs by using the aid another action, although it cannot attempt to repair itself directly. Time required to salvage a droid can be affected by the level of destruction sustained by the droid. Repairs may take several hours, several days, or even several weeks, as determined by the game master. Destroyed droids usually require spare parts costing 50% or more of the droid's original cost. I like that a lot. Um, I was only familiar with like the core rulebook yeah. ruling that once a droid is destroyed, that's it. You're done. It's it's obliterated, un- unrecoverable. So for this one, I think I would say since you're salvaging a destroyed droid to be kind of basically almost a new droid, yeah. it's like a what, what the Argo ship of Theseus. The, the ship of Theseus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like that. I think you'd have to make it a stock a stock unit for the droid, honestly. Oh, so like saying if it, it was a player character droid and you were salvaging it, I don't think it would return as a player character. Interesting. I would have I, to rule it as an NPC, I feel like. I kind of like that. That way the threat of death is still like, you know, yeah. permanent and a real consequence. Or or what, hear what, me out. What you got? If if the <laughs> a different degree of droid, but Ooh. the same player character droid. Interesting. So they would not be able to return <laughs> to the coveted fourth degree droid. Uh, battle monster. I only had parts for a protocol droid. Hey, that's a really interesting limitation to introduce to the party, and I think Game Master should consider that. Absolutely. Or you can do the other thing and just roll a d20 to see if if the droid retains all memory. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And uh, droid quirks, fantastic way to bring it back in here. I think if you are salvaging a destroyed droid, absolutely throw in a quirk in there. Yeah. Um, Really cool, yeah. That might sound cruel, but I think it's... Droids shouldn't be immortal... At least not any more than everyone else. I mean, a player character should still face consequences and die if that's what what's coming. And, you know, this is a cool way to kind of skirt that. But you shouldn't be without consequence. I agree. I agree. Uh, Let's talk about droid accessories, Stephen. We kind of covered systems. Yeah, we covered uh, systems broadly. I think we picked up a couple like favorites of ourselves that. um, Yeah, I I mentioned the translator unit. Yeah, I wanted to do a slightly deeper dive. Uh, just because, I mean, come on, it's it's droid accessories, baby. The one that always stands out to me most is droid armor, uh, which is really, really, really interesting. Did you know that droids with droid armor, if they're bipedal and have two hand appendages, can also wear armor designed for humanoid creatures? <laughs> well, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I understand. The armor doesn't stack, 
No, of course not. Uh, but you do take the better of your droid armor or the worn armor, uh, which I think is pretty neat. That is cool. I did not know that. Yeah. So we can have droids disguised as uh, stormtroopers or clone troopers even. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as long as they're sufficiently humanoid looking, which is, you know, a good chunk we of We actually see that in the Clone Wars. There's a whole thing about commando droids invading a base right. dressed That's as a great clone troopers. Episode. That's a really early one, That's, too. That is like the first one where we get Domino Squadron. Yeah. Uh, I think I, Heavy dies in that episode, actually. <laughs> Was that like season one or season two? Mm, two or three. Yeah, I, I remember think. that being a really early, really good one. It's, that's that's the episode where Captain Rex gets his blue marks on his armor. You're right. It's so good because uh. he just kills some random beast and paints his armor afterwards. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I forgot that's where he gets his blue. Is that where the rest of the five hundred first decided to drive their blue uh, markings? That from? squadron specifically do all put their blue markings on at that time. Wow. But the rest of the five hundred first, I think they might just follow suit because it's Rex's. It's Rex's Legion. Yeah, so, right. yeah, yeah. So they, they probably just follow suit that's and pretty, all do blue. That's pretty badass. Very lucky that there was no blue uh, Legion of Storm um, yeah. Clone Troopers yet. Seriously, really, really <laughs> made out there. Real primary color there. Seriously. Prime for the, <laughs> the taking. Um, sorry, droid armor. Yeah, droid armor. <laughs> sorry, that was a cool aside, though. Uh, running in heavy armor, uh, a droid can only move up to three times its speed instead of four times, uh, just like anyone else in heavy armor. Though I believe that's negated with the juggernaut talent on the armor specialist. What's cool is that... Uh, droids with built-in armor, they um, they don't take a penalty to their speed. However, oh. they do take uh, the armor check penalties to skills and and stuff like that. Only if they're not proficient, though, right? Only if they're not proficient in the armor. Yeah, yes, that's cool. That's cool. I don't know why you would wear armor without armor. Because I'm a because you get built-in armor as a droid, and I'm a third-degree droid. I don't <laughs> get armor proficiency <laughs> built-in. But how, also, to be honest, how often am I making acrobatics climb? Uh, jump at stealth and swim checks. I mean, endurance initiative. That's true. You, you, you skipped over a couple important <laughs> ones there. Initiative uh, being one, you might roll pretty often. It'd only be a minus two, though, for yeah. a protocol droid. And which, armor. I mean, the armor might be a, be a good benefit there, especially if you're scared. <laughs> it's not crucial to the party that I act first. It's <laughs> a good point. If you're just a third degree droid, you might be, you know, sitting there in the corner buffing everyone. You might not need to act first. I do like um, the hardened systems. Yeah, this is a this is a really beneficial one. Um, really hard to get because it's expensive and military availability only, and larger, greater size only oh, for droids. So straight up player character droids aren't no. using this. Oh wow, okay. So hey, game masters, if um, when your buddies out there has a droid with harder hardened systems, uh, they don't. <laughs> you cannot play a droid with hardened systems because you cannot play a droid that is large. Can the party own an NPC droid that's large with hardened systems? Yes, but that is a whole different problem entirely, because now they are in ownership of a tank. Sam, I think we've had people on the edge of their seats long enough. What do hardened systems do? They provide a, they, there's a multiplier to the bonus hit points and damage threshold based on a droid's size. So, for example, a hardened systems times three droid would have plus 30 hit points and a plus 15 bonus to its damage threshold. So a plus 15 bonus to damage threshold, one yep. of the most important stats in the game because it determines yep. when you're knocked down the condition track. Yeah, um, for especially for large droids, which is based on your strength and not your constitution. Uh, plus 30 hit points is pretty great, considering yeah. droids don't get bonus to uh, hit points from dice rolls on it, levels. It does, you're right. Uh, that does remind me of something we forgot to mention last week. Independent droid gets a D12 hit die, the only prestige class in the game to have it and that's almost certainly to make up for the fact that they do not add a bonus to their HP rolls. So there you go. There you go. Um, wow, yeah, hardened systems, scary. Uh, I love designing um, NPC droids as enemies, just because it's 
fun and easy oh, yeah. way to for a, a nice challenging enemy. Um, and it's you know it's cool because the party can just rip them apart and it's like it's a droid. Who yeah, really cares. you don't have to. It's not it's not super dark or anything. No, to, no, no. To reduce a droid to limbs. Yeah, seriously. And even like you know, in an encounter where you could throw in a rancor, which is you know a, a tortured, imprisoned animal. Yeah. <laughs> um, you could throw in a droid, which is you know a mindless object uh, meant for killing. Or how about like maybe a <laughs> a droid designed to be a rancor. <laughs> Ooh, a false, <laughs> rancor? a false rancor. I like that idea. Oh, I like that. With hardened systems times five or Absolutely. something like that. Absolutely, a huge health pool. Oh it's, man, it's like it's like an animatronics gone wrong kind of situation. Yeah, it's like a five it's nights, like a at, five nights at, at, at Jabba's. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. Some sort of con man, hut crime, underworld kind of guy who's maybe he established a reputation for selling particularly gruesome rancors. Party uncovers they were droids the whole time. I do like the because who's gonna get close enough to the rancor to figure out it's a droid? That's true, and I mean <laughs> that's true. Maybe you notice that it wasn't like I don't know defecating or eating, but maybe you can fake that. You're somehow. not gonna get close enough to it to figure exactly. that out. Exactly. Yeah, who's like hmm, my my? Um, there's no droid poop. There's no poop in that rancor pit. <laughs> no one's gonna fucking notice that. They're gonna be eaten. eaten. Uh, another cool droid accessory: dark vision. Because yep. I don't think there are any player species that get dark vision. I don't believe you. I think low light vision is the most uh, I, that they get. Low light vision, definitely. But, like, there's got to be species someone that get dark Someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, someone it's, will it's point out. I, I'm almost certain you're wrong. Uh, uh, replica droid. <laughs> replica droid can get dark vision. Oh, we yeah, replica droid. That's, that's still a droid, though. But it's a species in the... Yeah, but it's yeah. a droid. I know, but it, it uh, is what, technically a species. What, what, what hairs are you splitting here? <laughs> the droid hairs. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that's my favorite droid accessory. <laughs> Harry. Remember For the, the ladies, Harry. Harry. <laughs> Way to alienate our audience. Of <laughs> Everyone knows SpongeBob. Uh, we can't talk. We can't talk about droid accessories without talking about uh, shield generator system. Yeah, super, super interesting. Another expensive military grade uh, sort of deal, but you can get these as a player character, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, having them built into your system is great because that way, you know, um, we've seen Mandalorians use sh- armor like shields. Yeah, and stuff like or that. even Droidicas. Droidicas get shields. Yeah, no, I'm talking about like non droids. Oh, sorry, yes, it's definitely a lot more difficult for non droid characters to get shield generators. Definitely, absolutely. Per- I think there's a personalized shield generator. I believe like, there's an armor upgrade that can give you like SR five. But then you're in armor. Exactly. So a droid. On, on, on light armored a droid, which is the least armored a droid can be, yeah. sadly. Or, no, you can be unarmored as a droid. Yes. No, your chassis you don't, need don't dro- automatically come with armor? You don't need to have droid armor. Oh, well, You don't you need go. to have droid armor. You do not. Learn something new every day. Yeah. So yeah, an unarmored droid can have a shield rating of 20 if you have the credits to spare. Uh, 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 I will point something out, Sam. Only droids of medium size or larger can be equipped with an SR-15 generator only droids of large or bigger size can be equipped with an SR-20 generator. SR-15 is still pretty good. Pretty freaking good. Um, and that is, uh, an SR-15 is uh, going to cost you 7,500 creds times your cost factor, which for a normal medium droid is usually one. I think a custom droid, it's one. Um, and your weight, it's going to add, it's pretty hefty, pretty heavy, uh, 30 times your cost factor and weight. Uh, so about 30 kilograms for a, your normal custom droid. Oh, what's cool is uh, droid shield rating only goes down if they take damage greater than the shield. Oh, cool. So if you take 10... Like a normal droid. Yeah, like exactly. a normal shield rating. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, you can spend three swift actions on the same or consecutive rounds, like a recovery. Nice. Uh, to make a DC 20 endurance check to restore lost shield power. Now, endurance check, that's interesting. They are not adding a con ability modifier to that. So <laughs> that's just, that's uh, kind of tough. You can be trained. You can be trained, of course. Um, um, I'd probably throw in a force point here just because you cannot get an ability mod there at all. Half your level, but no ability mod's pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, sadly, that does mean you cannot be a droid scout with the full shake it off capabilities because you don't have an endure, uh, a constitution score. Indeed. There is also, Steven, uh, if, if a shield generator is too much for you, you can get a, um, I'm looking at here, a micro shield for droids. The droid oh. accessory. Uh, 600 times your cost factor is how much it costs. Uh, licensed. It's a tool that prevents incoming attacks from hitting or damaging the wielder. Attached to an appendage. Uh, it gives you a plus one equipment bonus to reflex defense. Oh, very cool. There you go. Very, very cool. I'm seeing the, um, this is a, 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 a fun one, the internal grapple gun. Yeah. I've seen some serious mischief uh, in, in my games from this accessory, and I, I happen to be a fan. Uh, it's a uh, hundred creds times your cost factor and weighs two kilograms times your cost factor. When a droid needs to reach an inaccessible area, an internal grapple gun can be indispensable, which I, I like that line because it's, it's a dispensable yeah. Grapple gun, but it's indispensable to have. <laughs> the gun fires a magnetic grapple hook with an ultra-thin cord. The internal compartment holds 15 meters, 10 squares of cord. An external magazine can hold up to 105 meters or 70 squares of cord. The cord can be detached from the droid as a free action. Firing the grapple gun is a standard action. Quick note, it's not clear what sort of role the player needs to make to fire that grapple gun so it finds its mark. I would probably look at the ascension gun. Yep. Uh, weapon and use that ranged attack roll against reflex defense of 10. If they hit that, they hit their mark Add modifiers as needed. mm, How would you do training on that? Would you just automatically be trained on it? Because yeah, I'd say it's a simple internal internalized device. Yeah, no, I I wouldn't like say they, they are inproficient with that or anything like that. I'd probably count it as a, as a simple weapon for proficiency's sake, uh, reflex DC or well, not a DC, but reflex defense of 10 to hit their mark. And if it's like windy, or especially like extreme uh, situation, I, I'd probably maybe up that a little bit to like twelve or fourteen. Yeah. Uh, enough about accessories, Stephen. Okay. There's a special type of accessory I want to ask you about. Yeah, I don't know if we talked about it last week. Yeah. Droid stations. Yeah, droid stations are really cool and confusing. <laughs> Good. Explain, please clarify. So, a special classification of droid accessories introduced in Scav's Guide to Droids are droid stations. These are droid-specific control and maintenance stations that are found aboard starships and other locations where droids are integral to the building or ship's operations. They're typically permanent installations and cannot be relocated without disassembly or considerable labor. So, I really thought these should be starship accessories. But they're not. So, let's dig in. The droid battle station is awesome. I just think it's so cool. Um... (laughs) The cost is 50,000 credits per 100 droids that are part of this droid battle station, and the weight is 50,000 kilograms. The droid battle station provides the functionality of regular droid command stations. We'll get onto that later. And they can be used to direct droids in combat. Think about Phantom Menace, Invasion of Naboo. Absolutely. Droid battle stations are typically very large installations capable of coordinating hundreds or thousands of droids of all types. Some droid battle stations emulate droid commanders. When the droid battle station is installed, select two talents from the droid commander prestige class. Ooh. That's neat. These talents can be used by the character operating the droid battle station as if the character has those talents. The number of times each talent can be used is calculated per station 
not per character. So switching characters in the middle of a battle does not grant additional uses. Droids with the Droid Commander Prestige class can not use these talents more often, even if they duplicate talents the droid already possesses. Wow, so that's so 10,000 credits for uh, up to a free access to Prestige class. <laughs> 50,000 credits, Oh, 50,000 yeah. credits. 50,000 credits per 100 droids you're controlling. Uh, I like this because it's fun and a real quick and easy way to put a droid army under the control of your players. Can we just look at the droid commander talent tree for a second? Yeah, let's pick some nuggets of goodness from... God, I'm starting to sound like DM Chris. Uh, let's pick some nuggets of goodness from the droid uh, commander talent tree. I gotta tell you, Steven, um, the first one I see on there, automated strike. As a swift action, you can make a DC-15 knowledge tactics track. If, if successful, all droid allies able to hear and understand you gain the benefits of the double attack feat for one weapon group with which you are proficient until the end of your next turn. Well, no, that's pretty freaking great, especially if you're talking about droids taking on a bunch of weaker enemies. That double attack penalty isn't going to mean much when you're mowing down hordes of enemies. Or innocence. Or innocence. Depending on your campaign. Yeah, I mean, that's how <laughs> droid armies are usually used yeah. in Star Wars, so hey. Uh, let's see here. Is there another one? Uh, droid defense is a standard action. You transmit tactical information to all droid allies that can hear and understand you for the purposes of the droid uh, battle station. That's absolutely all of them. Uh, granting them a bonus equal to your int modifier to one of their defenses, your choice until the beginning of your next turn. That's kind of like what independent droids can do for themselves a little bit. But oh, now absolutely. it's on the scale of a whole army. I do also enjoy looking at expanded sensors. Ooh, if see. you or any of your droid allies has line of sight to and is aware of a target, all droid allies that can hear and understand you are also considered to have line of sight, but not necessarily line of effect to that target. Wow. So if one droid happens to find the stealthy gorillas hiding out in the riverbank under the tree brush, then the whole army immediately knows. doesn't even need to call for help. Everyone just knows. Everyone just knows where they are. That's incredible. That's pretty great. Um, uh, Cruise on back to the droid stations, because there's yes. one in particular that's very important and worth discussing. Okay, so the, the droid battle station mentioned the droid command station. Mm -hmm. Let's see here. Okay, so this is like aboard a ship controlling the sh droid's crew aboard that ship. Let me go ahead and read this. Oh, I was thinking it's more like the, like the Luger Hulks in Chance uh, Menace. Shoot, is it? Why don't you, you go ahead and read it then? On starships and other installations requiring a large droid population, centralizing droid command stations direct and control droids as they carry out their daily operations. Um, a droid organic overseer can operate the droid command station on large starships or major facilities. The droid command station is manned at all hours. Small operations might use the droid command station to issue commands and provide automated oversight. Droids of the command station's pool must have a comlink, an internal comlink, or a remote process in order to maintain contact with the droid command station. Accessing the station requires the appropriate password or code cylinder. The droid command station typically has an intelligence score of 14, or the ship's intelligence, whichever is higher, and a will defense of 15. Standard droid command stations. What's cool about the droid command station is it does say you have to have an internal comlink, comlink, or remote processor, which does remind me of those early battle droids in episode one. You're right, you're right. Uh, it's completely dependent on the droid command station that orbiting them, um, orbiting Naboo. Um, I'm seeing stuff about like a droid pool and you can coordinate them on various tasks. They can aid each other to, to achieve certain goals. Uh, you can reprogram droids remotely. That's pretty cool. That's fucking sweet. You can translate binary and common languages with no check. That's rad. Yeah. So it does say, it says locate any droid in the droid pool anywhere within the station's operational range. Typically the vessel or facility where the droid command station is installed. The droid must be fitted with a tracking device or a restraining bolt that can be tracked by stations. 
sensors or the facility security network. I use computer checker DC five suspicion to locate any such droid. The only thing I'm interested with that line there is it says operational range. Typically, the vessel or facility where the droid command station is installed, but not necessarily. Not necessarily, no. What's cool about this one compared to the other one that we were just looking at? This one does not have a cost per and per, per droid amount. It does not. It's just a flat ten thousand. It's just however many droids you have can yeah. attach to this droid command station. Also, it's only of licensed availability. Well, there's a reason that the the Clone Wars started, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just, just worth noting, since the droid battle station, of course, with the name, you'd think military availability. This can almost get you a similar level of effectiveness, but only for license. Um, would you install a droid command station on, like, the party's uh, Corellian Corvette? Absolutely. Right? Sure. I was thinking more like uh, the party's stolen Acclimator class uh, <laughs> a Star Destroyer or anything like that. Absolutely. <laughs> Because those things do require a, a crew of like eight hundred at think least, upwards in the thousands. In the if thousands, I'm not mistaken, yeah. If, let me check the acclimator lucky. here. I know there's a few conflicting sources on it, but in Swissy, the acclimator's crew requirement is twenty thousand. There we go. That would be a droid, a, a droid command station for sure. Hundred percent. Well, okay. Here, here we are at the at the droid station accessory, droid socket, Sam. I've got my sick Star Viper, okay? I'm a badass pilot, but I'm missing out on the benefits of having an astromech. What do I need? A droid socket. This is the one where I was like, why isn't this a Starship accessory? Like, it, it absolutely should be a Starship accessory. Like, like agree I, with me right now. It, I agree. So, I understand that it's a droid accessory. Yeah. I don't think it's a specific to it, like a single droid accessory. I think it's just an accessory for droids that you install on a starship. Absolutely. I, I think that's a good, I think that's a good um, way to look at it. Designed exclusively for astromech droids, the droid socket serves as a station combining co-pilot, systems monitoring, astrogation, and damage control operations for minimally crewed craft. Droid sockets are featured on many snub fighters, the occasional shuttle, and a few airspeeders. They occasionally must be designed and installed as original equipment, although savvy techs can build their own or transplant one onto a ship that does not normally carry a droid socket. Would you count a droid socket as a non-standard modification on a ship? No, because a lot of ships come with droid sockets, at least, at least starfighters. You're right, right. and the, the non-standard modifications rules are for starship systems, and like we just said, this is strictly not a starship system. Oh, maybe that's why they have it classified as a droid accessory. Probably, probably. Um, would you, okay... I don't have a droid socket, per se. Yeah. But can a droid, an astromech, pilot a ship using a, a scomp link? You know, that's a really good question. Um, or does I, that qualify as having a droid socket? I think if you, like, managed to get a droid into a cockpit and had proper scomp link access and everything, I would let a droid pilot a starfighter or, or other vehicle with very basic, minimal sort of maneuvers. Probably not. I wouldn't allow starship maneuvers. I wouldn't really allow pilot checks unless the droid was trained in pilot, of course. Uh, the droid socket, though, does allow the droid to pilot or co-pilot the ship or vehicle with the pilot's permission. If the pilot's unconscious, uh, permission's not required. That's cool. Yeah. Yo, save it by a droid. Seriously. Uh, there's a list of here of all the lovely little things a droid can do once it's in the droid socket. These are classic astromech stuff, rerouting power, uh, mechanics checks to jerry-rig. Um, operating pilot or droid uh, ejection systems with the pilot's permission. Input hyperspace jump coordinates. Exactly. There we go. 
Uh, there's standard prohibited actions and systems that can be overridden by the pilot. Uh, by default, droids cannot operate the weapons activation and firing and cannot jump to hyperspace without approval. Though, of course, as we've seen in several expanded media, uh, pilots, often skilled pilots, savvy ones too, Luke included, um, have given over all sorts of controls over to their droids. Absolutely. Uh, it also a cute little note here that I, I didn't even really consider um, astromech self-loading systems as seen in the N1 Royal Starfighters. Do you remember that in the movie where yes. they, uh, they get to roll under and then boom, get that? And also right uh, Poe Dameron's X-Wing does auto. Uh, oh, yeah, it does. CBA. It does. Ain't that something? We've talked a lot about players being in droids. What if I have an astromech? Does my astromech get its own turn in the tornado order in combat or anything like that? If it's a non-heroic, purely non-heroic astromech droid. So, rules is written, yeah. But there's another interesting tool given to us by Scav's Guide to Droids that I think is worth bringing up. There's something that droid non-player characters can do, which you can adapt into the protocol format, which is basically translating player character swift actions into droid move or standard actions. Or oh, oh like that's that. cool. That'll make it really simple. They've got a nice little table. All right. So if you want your droid to do a free action, it's going to cost you a free action. If you want your droid to do a swift action, it's going to cost you a swift action. Two swift actions, still one swift action. Three swift actions, two swift actions, but only once per turn for the droid. Okay. Uh, a move action will be a swift action, and you can do that twice per turn for a droid. A standard action, swift action for a player, once per turn. Uh, a full round action will be two swift actions for a player. Um, a lot of droids, uh, in at least on the Swiki, for their sort of uh, generic uh, stat blocks, they do have a, a protocol format installed already. Oh, okay, cool. So, so like the R2 series Astromech Droid protocol format has a bunch of system actions. Oh, nice. We've got move, one swift action. And you can, the R2 series Astromech Droid moves six squares, wield, four squares walking, or nine squares flying. Nice. You can spend a swift action to make an R2 series droid. A, a pilot check, like co-piloting. Oh, nice. You can use it, uh, two swift actions to get an R2 series to improve access against the target computer. Uh, it's just a lot of cool stuff like that. I like this a lot because, like I said earlier, it kind of fills the gap between, like, droid NPC and, like, droids as equipment. Yeah, if you as a, if you as a DM don't want to handle the 30 astromech droids that your party has accumulated and just have your party do system action stuff like that. It's great. I think this is a great way to keep it simple. And honestly, like is my, pr like obviously game masters are going to have to decide and tell you that they want to use this system. But for me personally, um, I just love it because it, it, I don't have to think about the droid as an NPC stat block. It's a piece of equipment that can move and talk and exist. Obviously I'm going to go back to the stat block when I need to, but 90% of the time these system actions already do what we need to do. Absolutely. We talked about the R2 series having system actions, yeah. but there's also other droids like the spider droids or any sort of like battle droids that have their own sort of system actions. Is that too? Let's let's take yeah. a look at the B2 super battle droid. I'm curious as to what sort of actions he might have. So we've got... Oh yeah, there it is. Uh, free action to avoid surprise. So that's cool. Wow, with a perception check and everything. Uh, if the check is successful, the droid's master avoids surprise also. Whoa. There we go. I like that a you lot. You can spend a swift action to send a B2 uh, super battle droid on patrol duty. It makes a perception check. It gets notice targets and stuff like that. You can make them use rapid shot. Mm. Uh, a ranged attack at plus two of successful deals 48 points of damage for two swift actions. So technically, you can get two attacks out with no penalty. Yeah, as long as you've got a B2 droid. on your side. Yeah, That's exactly. pretty sweet. I dig that big time. Support fire. Two swift actions once per turn. Attacks at plus four. If successful, the attack deals 3d8 points of damage. Tactical assistance. Assisting a character's range attack for one swift action plus, plus two bonus of the roll. 
Um, whereas aiding another, is that a standard? Was that a swift? Or? That's a standard action to aid another. So this is way more efficient in terms of yes. action economy than uh, than aiding another or suppressing fire. There's a reason the BD series of droids is so helpful because they're just right there with you at all times. Always. I would love. Do you so? Is, there's not an official stat block for the BD droid that I've seen. No, our um, our friend actually made the BD homebrew stat block on the wiki, and I actually oh, like it a rad. lot. Yeah, BD droid. Let's look that up. And uh, yours truly may have done the very popular and widely uh, complimented Calcestis stat block. Just a little plug. Oh there. wow, a little plug there, huh? Well, you know, I was. <laughs> It was up there like just a few days after the game came out. You know, I, I you know, I, I like to think I would good. absolutely adapt uh, BD to the um, to the protocol format. Yeah. As seen in the newest episode of the Mandalorian, BD is also useful as helping out with mechanic repairs or just generally being helpful. Yes, you do indeed. see some other BD style droids in the High Republic settings, uh, at least I think in the comics. I don't think ever an animator or anything. No. But it's cool. Imagine, you know, a BD droid giving you a plus two on a range attack. I swift action. I think about that all the time. <laughs> it's great. I think it's a cool concept the, for the protocol format. It's so useful. And it's nice that they have that table there. That kind of gives you a general idea of Seriously. what you want to do as a player. Really cuts the fat on, on having NPC allies. Uh, Sam, there was one more little uh, nugget I wanted to bring into our droid discussion. That's more of a crystal uh, rather than a You're nugget. right. You're right. It's much more, much more crystalline in shape. Uh, shards uh, were notably missing from our discussion of droids uh, last week, and that's well because they're not droids, Stephen. Because they're not droids, they're force sensitive. They can use the force. Hey, whoever's familiar with shards, they are sentient crystals from the planet Orax that live and inhabit droid bodies. Uh, very controversial within the, the Jedi Order, and I think they were actually excommunicated. Uh, when a Jedi Master uplifted several shards, trained them in the Force, and brought them before the Jedi Council, I believe that was shortly before the Clone Wars, um, with a faction of Force-sensitive shards known as the Iron Knights. That's such a cool name. I <laughs> love them so much. There's a reason why I feature them prominently in my campaign, because I just think they're the coolest. I read you the shards droid shell species trait. Shards must inhabit droid bodies to travel and function in the galaxy at large. In this form, they gain the following traits. Shards must undergo maintenance as per a droid. Shards are immune to poison, radiation, non-corrosive atmospheric hazards, and vacuum. They can gain hit points only through the repair droid application of the mechanic skill. They do not benefit from natural healing unless they have the Force Repair talent, which is an Iron Knight exclusive talent from the Iron Knight talent tree. Shards are considered cybernetic creatures for the purposes of ion damage, so they're subject to ion damage. Shards can make use of droid systems and accessories subject to some limitations. Shards can have the following droid systems with a cost modifier of times one. Appendages. Droid armor, communication systems, compartment space, sensor systems, translator units. So you can already see that they exist in the halfway between zone of meat bags and droids. They're subject to only a few droid traits and have a limited selection of droid systems. However, having access to droid systems and force powers? Oh mama. You have a wide berth of options available Absolutely. to you for your character. And Steven, I doesn't say anything on here, but would you rule? So if a droid body for a shard breaks, goes to disabled, deactivated, destroyed, yeah, the shard doesn't die. I don't think it does, though. I could certainly see an argument for in favor of the the shard dying. If it I, sustains enough damage and shatters that fragile little crystalline <laughs> body, 
<laughs> Wait a minute. I've got a spring-loaded mechanism in my droid body <laughs> that shoots me at 30 miles an hour the other direction. <laughs> I would allow that um, entirely. I would love to see uh, a shard... Like a shard astromech droid, like just charging in full speed, readying an action for the spring loaded mechanism to eject self and activating the self destruct on the droid body. <laughs> I have some bad news for you, Sam. What? What's the bad news? A spring loaded mechanism is a droid accessory under the miscellaneous systems subcategory which is not one of the droid systems listed as allowed for a shard. No! <laughs> Would I allow it in my game? Yes. But per raw, that is not allowed. <laughs> I can't eject myself from my droid body. If I was jamming, I'd let you do it as much as you wanted to. But here on the shard species page, that is not an option. Uh, coming up after the break, we have a special community interview with Stephen C., also known as Lil Literalist. He's well-known in Swissy Circles for his generous and thoughtful contributions, which include Roll20 macro sheets, self-made resources and resource compilations, the grappling flowchart, and a popular repository of house rules. Steven's knowledge of the system is enjoyed by many on Reddit and the Saga Edition Discord, where he's always swift to answer any question, big or small. Oh, and also, here on for the rest of the episode, our own Steven will be known as Steve. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> to, to reduce confusion, I'm going as Steve for the rest of the episode. Our guest will be Steven. We'll see you after the break. See you then. Thank you for listening to the Dark Times podcast. This is the part of the show where my boy Steve and I will talk about how much we appreciate you and all Abs- that jazz. Absolutely. Um, as always, you guys are the impetus for driving us through. We love doing this show and we love hearing all the positive feedback. You guys have been hitting our emails up just like we asked. We thank you for that. And we are asking for even more. Please bombard us. With questions and ideas for the show, uh, we always love to hear it, and it's it's fuel for fun. Yeah, um, don't forget, we're still doing, uh, ends next week, our droid character bounty. Of course, there's a the bounty out week. for a uh, level 10 droid with at least one level of independent droid. Submissions must be gotten to us in your communication method of choosing no later than Sunday, February 6th. Because we record the next day. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it, it'll be more... It's. It is a contest, but we're not going to pick one droid. We're going to showcase probably a good handful of droids that we like and that we thought were impressive. So no build this week, but your build might be on the show next week. Uh, We've also got our email at darktimesswse at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter at darktimesswse. Um, I can't think of anything else to get back into the show, Stephen. I think we're going to get right into it. You know what? Uh, Please review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Spotify. Uh, whatever Google Podcast does inter- uh, does reviews also. I'd they love do? That. Okay, cool, sweet. I would love if they did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get back to the interview. Let's get, let's get into that interview with uh, Little Literalist. Let's do it. Folks, we're here. This is, this is the first of uh, what I've been calling the community interviews for the Dark Times podcast. Uh, we're very excited to be here. Uh, of course, it's me, Steve, Sam, and our very special guest, uh, Steven, also known as Lil Literalist. Welcome, Steven. Hi, glad to be here. Thank you so much for, I, you know, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of your amazing work at the beginning of the episode <laughs> with uh, your incredible Jar Jar Binks delivery. Oh, thank oh, you so thank much. You. Yeah, my pleasure. So the point of these community interviews is I kind of wanted to, obviously there, there's quite a few folks out there who, who really put in the time and the effort to make the Swissy community something special. And again, this is a, 
as you know, an RPG that's been out of print for well over a decade. So who the hell knows why we're still out here chugging along. Um, I, that's something I hope to explore with these interviews and, and something I think would just be a lot of fun uh, getting to know the different people around the, the still active, still uh, living Swissy community. Um, so we've got a few questions here. This will just be more like a conversation, kind of like we've talked about. Um, but uh, Stephen, I got to know, what was your first RPG? Uh, this actually was my first RPG. Nice. Same here. I got started on some forums and there was a guy who said like, hey, let's go ahead and you know, try out this uh, Star Wars saga thing. And he typed up this you know story of how he was playing with his sisters and you know this awesome epic conclusion where one sister betrayed the other and wow. then uh you know he said yeah let's do this on these forums and then uh a few months later we learned that he just made all that up uh, <laughs> <laughs> no way but, <laughs> yeah so he, he duped up a story about a saga campaign to get you guys into it and then turns out he he faked the whole thing yeah. And then I asked him about that like years later and he said, I don't remember that at all. That sounds like something I would have done as a team. About what uh, about what year was this? Um I am not entirely sure. I I feel like I remember uh the Clone Wars book coming out, but I know that well one one thing that's hard is that um when I was starting to play, I was using the, the illegal PDFs that people were scanning in. Uh, so in order to actually play with those books, we had to kind of wait for someone to actually you know put them out there. Um, I have since acquired all the books except for the Unknown Regions. I'll trade you my uh, my Unknown Regions for Coder. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, so I'm not entirely sure, but I was playing when the books were coming out. Nice. Uh, yeah. That's cool. Do you uh, remember? Do you even remember your first game? Um, it was by that guy, uh, and uh, I. It, it was kind of on the short side, but I do remember I was playing a Mon Calamari. I don't remember what class is. Probably scout, maybe nice. scoundrel. My first Swissy character was also a Mon Calamari. And was this like a play by post situation or were you like actually managing to play like in person? Oh yeah. For, for my first few years I was doing uh play by posts on forums. Uh, and then uh, during college I was able to keep on doing that. And I also was uh, GMing at my college for my floor uh, nice. I did that for several years. Um, yeah. I was able to play in person when I moved uh, back home after college and uh, found uh some friends that were interested in doing the system. And uh, then, you know, after a few years, I started doing Roll20. And uh, so I've been doing that and uh, recently picked up Play by Post again. Uh, nice. I stopped about the same time that I was starting uh, Roll20, but I've been doing more Play by Post recently. That's sick. I've never had the pleasure. Play by Post is interesting because it seems more like it's like, you know, you send an outgoing mail and you you get a reply a day later and you reply to that whenever you feel like it's it's very much it does take that same amount of time and effort you put into like a roll 20 game but it really kind of sprinkles it throughout your your week even <laughs> no no one game night uh which is nice about that i can see the benefits and definitely the drawbacks as well although there are some times when you know sometimes just a few people get going and you get back to okay a hundred plus chat messages <laughs> 
<laughs> oh no. Yeah, that's the worst part. On the Swissy Discord, you were running those uh, like one-on-one uh, bounty missions for a while there. That seemed pretty cool. I almost signed up myself. Yeah, and I I need to reply to one of them uh, because it's been lingering for about two weeks. Um, <laughs> yeah, one of them kind of just died and the other never got going. Happens. Uh, so you've been active with, with Swissy for, for a while then. It sounds like mm-hmm. you never really slowed down. You never really stopped ever since... Ever since you got your first taste. No, I've been going. Yeah. It's always been with you know, some group or some community, but yeah. it hasn't always been with the community at large. Of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, so would you say like more recently is when you started to engage with the community at large? Because as we'll talk about in a little bit, you're like kind of out there now. Like the, you're, you're doing some pretty big stuff. Literally anyone who has posted on the Reddit or in the Discord or on the wiki have probably seen your username somewhere. So, yeah, you know, either subconsciously or not, they, they are familiar with your work. Yeah, so I was, um, I won't say active, uh, I was on the Wizards boards when it was coming out. Mm. Uh, I don't remember how many posts I had. It was probably somewhere between 20 and 300. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I, I really have no room recollection, uh, but yeah, I kind of became involved with the community at large again uh, when I was joining Reddit and on the Saga Edition, uh, Saga Edition Reddit. Nice. Um, I there were, my first few weeks on Reddit were pretty much exclusively on the Saga Edition uh, subreddit, just because such a fun place. It's just the right size too. Yeah, it's not crazy big. You don't get a bunch of posts all the time with the same question. Yeah, we get like the question of the day or like the two to three questions of the day. It's it's nice. I like it there. Hmm. Um, did you ever listen to Order 66 back in the day? I was curious. Uh, I did not. That's fine. That's fine. He was I mean, too cool for podcasts. He was way too then. cool for podcasts back then. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually the first podcast that I've been a regular listen- listener to. Well, hey. Oh, wow. wow. Thank you very much. That means a lot. I'll take that. That's all the brownie points, you know, of of all our guests, you're my favorite so far. Seriously. I will. (laughs) Until we get Sam Witwer in here, you're my favorite guest. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's what you are, man. You you are a stepping stone to Sam Witwer. (laughs) Yeah. You're like Sam Witwer, like the first evolution. If he was a Pokemon, you're like the first (laughs) Sam Witwer. Okay. Well, it's going to be it's going to be your turn to have your name replaced then. (laughs) I'm next. Oh, yeah, that's right. Shit. We'll get a new Sam on. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I will absolutely. He can call me whatever he wants if he wants to be on the podcast. I'll Fucking leave. Seriously. He can host. Yeah, he can host for the week if he wants to. I'll, I'll edit it. <laughs> the real question is, should we get him to do a Darth Maul or a Palpatine opening bit? Oh, Darth Maul. Come or Starkiller. Ooh. Can he do the whole thing just himself? The whole game? We'll give him. Th- we'll no. We'll have him do. It'll be a three-person intro, but he'll do all the voices for all three characters. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing! Amazing! Uh, so obviously, uh, Steve Ben Steven, uh, you put a lot of time into into Swissy. You know, like like me and Sam. It's mm-hmm. it's probably one of your primary hobbies. Uh, is there anything particular that that keeps you coming back to, to all this? I think the the people is a big draw. Uh, I like. The people that I play with, uh, I one one of my groups. I actually had auditions and you know messaged pretty much everyone on Rule Twenty that I could find who was interested in uh, in Star Wars and said, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm starting up this game and go ahead and 
fill out this application. Here you go. (laughs) (laughs) Then I I got like 50 responses, narrowed it down to to a few people. Um, I still have that. That was probably three years ago. uh, Still playing with two of them. And I'm uh, that's awesome. Picked up three more. And so, yeah. I mean, with that big a vetting process, you got to be like, you have to be like, you're like, okay, I, if I'm committing to these people, I better like them. Um, as, oh, yeah. As Steve and I have mentioned on the show, like Google Forms is a godsend for in the modern role playing community. I feel like mm-hmm. best tool we have in our arsenal is Google Forms as game masters. Yeah. And I, I also just love the, the fact that we have a Star Wars D20 role playing system. Oh, yeah. I have to completely agree with you. Uh, shit is so cool. Um, first time I saw Swissy, I was, my mind was blown. I didn't really think, cause at the time I was, you know, a kid, I, I understood RPGs as like, oh, it's, it's D and D and that's like it. You can't really do anything besides swords and dragons and stuff like that. But when I saw, you know, Saga edition, I was like, oh man, you can make your own Star Wars story with your best friends at a table. And that is just, I, I mean, I don't have to tell you how cool that is. And one thing that was fantastic, just reading through the core rule book, it's not just a system. It teaches you how to play a role-playing game. Absolutely. And it gives you examples of play. And it even has a description for, hey, here's what you do as a game master. And here's some common ways that you, you know, common things that you might face. And, you know, it also says, Hey, you're in charge of making sure that things don't get unbalanced. Yeah. <laughs> I love that about the system. Really, really um kind of the defining design decision, I think, in, in Saga Edition is that they they left so much arbitration intentionally um up to game masters. I think that choice is what prompted this, you know, ten year long discussion about the system we've been having. Um I, I think it's one of the key choices that made sure it'll never truly die. There'll always be a new thing that people come up with to try and figure out puzzle wise, like like trying to solve it, like the Da Vinci Code of tabletop systems. Yeah, like like power generators, <laughs> like power generators, <laughs> or dog fighting. God, dear God, yeah. how does dog fighting work? Who knows? It's true. We've been talking about multiple <laughs> fighters and dog fighting all week. Um, you know, I I remembered what I had forgotten about um, multiple uh, fighters dog fighting. Fighter groups can dog fight. Oh, so, great. so great. there you go. <laughs> so I've got my my group units at starship scale dogfighting against other group units at starship scale. Yep, and then multiple m- multiple fighter squadrons can dogfight together. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Welcome to the shit show. Yeah, I just tell my players like just 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 one group just, just to make things simple. I know that it's probably not the rules, but just. Well, you know, two ships at a time, dog. Yeah, I mean, keeping things simple at the table is way more important than what anyone says about a particular rule on a on a form somewhere. Um, I, I think running always, as always, and you know this well, is just running with whatever makes sense in the moment is always going to be the best choice, no matter what the rules say. This this may sound like a loaded question. It's definitely not meant to be. But uh, since you were on the Wizards boards, you know, you've seen pretty much roughly the, the Swissy community from its genesis until its present. Um, what are some major changes you've noticed over the years uh, with this community? He's he's given the thousand parsec stare, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's out there. He's, oh, man, you're pulling him back. First, I'd actually like to say that 
I've noticed a lot of things that have stayed the same uh, because we have the people who are the rules experts uh, and the people who you know, are, are munchkins and they're you know, right from the get go. <laughs> they were designing characters that were you know, com- designed to be as powerful as possible and take every advantage of uh, all the different kinds of imbalances that are, exist in the system. Uh, and then there is also some people who just like to play um, you know, more, more casually and who are experiencing the system for the first time and who are coming in with like, hey, how do you play this game? Uh, and it's been that way for a while. And I know that one person said that like, it, it might have been Stephen um, or Steve. Uh, or or maybe it was someone else, but they said, hey, I realized that there's this uh, build that you can do with uh, return fire, and uh, you know, I looked at uh, Reddit, and I found that oh, Little Literalists already made this build. Um, and he said that that was three years ago. Was that you? That wasn't me. I don't think I was. I wasn't okay. like talking to people about Swissy three years ago, I don't think. Uh, no, he he said that you know, I had done it three years before. Him. No, oh, I think it was I in the Discord, in the Saga Edition Wiki Discord, we were talking about a return fire build, and I found the link. I think it was me. That's I, I right. Found it, the was, link it was to your Reddit post from three years ago, and I was like, "Oh, look here it is." <laughs> and what I found was that I had made that build kind of starting fresh, but when I was looking back through some of my old builds from when the system was coming out. I found that same build. There we go. <laughs> Fantastic. Does the build hold up? Knowing all the knowledge you know now, does an early build from your first time playing the game, does it like, are there things you go back, you look at, you're like, why did I take Gambler six times? I don't understand why I needed the Gambler talent so much. <laughs> uh, there are some things that, uh, that are like that, but that build in particular is quite potent. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Gotta love Return Fire. Mm-hmm. All right, so I figured we'd we'd play favorites now. Do you got a favorite source book? Not really. No. Yeah, I mean that's a fair response. My favorite source book kind of shifts depending on like what particularly has my interest at the moment. Like a year ago, I would have said Unknown Regions. Uh, now I say like Galaxy at War and and Starships of the Galaxy for you know Scavenger's Guide to Droids. That's a really good one. I really like Scavenger's Guide to Droids. I think they all bring something really um, unique and. Delicious to the table, except Legacy Era. <laughs> no, no, no that 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 book has its its uh, merits. I'm sure. Legacy Era is your like your vegetables, Steve. You have to eat your vegetables. Yeah, oh yeah. I need my I need my double barreled carbine and my Cade Skywalker stat box. Legacy Era is like the the Twinkies. Yeah, it's it's, the, it's like. You know, the, the the delicious stuff that you want to take for your character, but is terrible for balance. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, the you're... The player wants to eat them, but your GM slash dietitian tells you you really shouldn't. It'll <laughs> rot your teeth. Return fire. Yeah. Return fire. <laughs> <laughs> and there it is. All right, how about how about like a go-to stat block? What's, what's a stat block you find yourself busting out quite a bit? <laughs> Man, I I don't find myself attached to stat blocks. Uh, when I was running in college, I would just come up with I, I would not use stat blocks at all. Mm-hmm. I would come up with a reflex defense, an HP, and 
uh, a, a weapon that they were using. And that, that was, was it. That was, that was my PCs, NPCs that I ran with, uh, which kind of made every combat feel a little samey. Yeah. But, you know, that was, beh- that was kind of the mechanics behind it. So I would still have, you know, different enemies, but, exactly. um, but they didn't ever use any unique abilities or something. Um, but, uh, you know, since I've become better, I hope uh, <laughs> I have been using, using more and more NPCs, but it's, it's just whatever I need at the moment. Nice. Uh, I, I can respect that, especially the early beginnings of just writing down stats on a note card and, and going for the best. Your players were none the wiser, I'm sure, and probably had a great time regardless. Yeah, they didn't mm-hmm. care that the Rancor had the same stats and health pool as like the Imperial officer. <laughs> <laughs> Imperial officer probably being one of those stat blocks where if your GM pulls it out for the first time and it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to grant the heavy weapons stormtrooper on, on the E-Web an extra standard action this turn. And it's just like, oh no, this is bad. This is bad. <laughs> They'll remember that. I remember when I was a oh, baby absolutely. GM and I, I broke out an Imperial officer for the first time and I'm like, oh, what's this talent? Trust? Oh, <laughs> speaking of talents, do you have a favorite sort of um, talent, Steven, or anything like that? Talent tree, even talent tree. Yeah, I couldn't make you pick just one talent. Dear God. Yeah, man, I, I there's a number of talent trees. Um, I think probably the one that comes to mind first is the unpredictable talent tree. Oh, that's yeah. really good. Good with blast back and second strike, yeah, and combos well with turn fire and combat reflexes. Uh, But I also love, you know, for support builds, the master of intrigue talent tree and uh, the anticipation talent tree. Uh, I'm also a fan of the melee duelist talent tree. Yeah, of course. To, to to make all of your melee dreams and hopes come true. Those flourishes are are just too good. Um, mm-hmm. excellent, excellent uh, patrician choices. I'd have to say. All right, favorite heroic, favorite standard heroic class, and favorite prestige class, and I want to hear why. Yep, I would probably go probably go a scout. Um, it's got the talents. It's got the you know. Increased HP from the other, you know, noble and scoundrel zero BAB starting classes, but uh, it, it feels like a combat class, even though it's you know, doesn't quite have the BAB or the HP. Uh, but most it's also skills got evasion, yeah. Yeah. evasion, evasion, yeah, obviously, yeah. <laughs> evasion's right there. No, scout is is fantastic for that reason. I think it's kind of in that beautiful, delicious chef's kiss middle ground between a, a kind of weak, flimsy buffer and a super strong beat face soldier. Um, you kind of get the best of both worlds in a lot of ways, I think. And you're just a fucking skill monkey from minute one, which is always fun in a system like this. Oh, yeah. And evasion was actually my first talent. I do remember that. Nice, nice. <laughs> not a bad and one so, to choose at first not level. I mean, at all. Sam, that may have been your first talent, too, as well, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, depends on the character. Oh, that's true. That's true. All right. Favorite prestige class. I, I'll probably go with melee duelist. Access to the melee duelist talent tree is reason enough, to be honest. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll use other 
uh, other prestige classes, you know, Elite Trooper, Gunslinger, uh, Jedi Knight, Jedi Masters, you know, common ones that I use. But I think Melee Duelist is probably my preferred prestige class for that type of build. Get those, nice. all those weapon flourishes out there, you know. Yeah. Having a fun time. Do you ever play Knights of the Old Republic on Xbox? <laughs> I played it on PC. Nice. Great. Even better. Um, I asked because on the Xbox, you could press, I think, like Y or some shit, and your character would do a cute little weapon flourish if they held a melee weapon. I don't think it was bound on PC, though. I could be totally wrong. But whenever I think of the melee duelist talent tree, I think of that little weapon flourish. All right. Um, you know, we I think we've all read some of your RPG horror stories, and maybe we can get into those in a little bit. But uh, do you have any any favorite just standout gameplay stories? I mean, you've been playing this game for a long time. What is your story? What is the story that you would tell someone to get them into Swissy right now? There it like, is. You like Star Wars? You like tabletop? Boy, do I have a story for you. Okay. Uh, when I was coming home from college uh, for winter break, um, I got together some friends for a uh, for a one shot, and it was a utterly fantastic one shot. It was the highlight of my jamming uh, uh, experience, and uh, my mom basically put us in the kitchen and you know, closed us off from the rest of the house. And nice. Uh, so I, I made up these uh, characters for them and wrote out all the talents and feats and the explanations of them and said like, all right, you don't know the system, but here's what you need to play and uh, let them choose their characters. And um, I had you know several different types of builds. And uh, so they came in, they chose their characters and we started playing and it was, it was a little bit of a, well, not a little bit. It was a, a horror themed one. Oh. Uh, they were on a pass. It was on a passenger line where they were, headed for Corellia and uh, the ship was hijacked by a group of terrorists and they had to break out of their rooms and fight these terrorists. And they noticed like, Oh, there's a group of terrorists that have been brutally massacred that we didn't touch. And uh, they eventually like found the terrorist leader and they, he said like, Hey, we're, we're just like following these mysterious orders that came to us. We're just a group of common, like swoop gang. Like we're just common uh, criminals. Basically we're not terrorists really. And so they got them all together in the mess hall and, um, you know, released the passengers. And then they found a, a, another brown envelope that had given them the instructions and uh, during this time, you know, the players were passing notes to me. And one of the players was a Claudite and he had infiltrated the terrorists without the other players knowing. And so <laughs> yeah, they asked wow. the terrorist, they asked, they asked the terrorist leader, like, how many guys do you have on board? And he said, you know, there's, there's 30, you know, 33 other people. And uh, they kind of did some mental math. Like, okay, we killed these guys. There were these guys who were in that room and wait. There's one extra person in the cafeteria, <laughs> and so <laughs> and so they they were trying to figure out who it was, and they were they were about to go nuts, and then the player revealed like, okay, yeah, that that's me, um, and <laughs> like, but but where did this where did this envelope come from, and like, why why are weird things going on on the ship, and so they 
they picked up the terrorist leader. The Wookiee put him on his back and you know, bound him with rope and said, all right, you're, you're coming with us. You know, everywhere we go, they gave the passengers the weapons and said, okay, you know, watch these guys. And they went looking through the ship and fought some uh, chrysalis beasts. And um, eventually they found like this, this seems like it is a force user. And what happened was, so it looked like it was the use work of the force user. And so they're looking all around the ship and they eventually learned that, okay, you know, this is a ship, which is bringing this dormant you know, force user into the galaxy at large. And um, he revealed himself as a Sith spirit who is inhabiting the terrorist leader who they had been carrying around for the entire time. <laughs> and, and he was like, ah, oh, you'll never defeat me. And then they, they, they killed him. Uh, and then he rose back up as a, as a spirit and they were utterly horrified. And they, they, you know, he tried and, you know, to inhabit the Wookiee and he, he got control of the Wookiee's body. And yes. they were wondering, okay, what the heck do we do? And then, uh, the, the noble said, all right, like, I'm going to blow this ship up. Uh, and that, that way, that way you will not get out into the galaxy and we'll just sacrifice everyone on board the ship. Uh, and, and he did. Uh, wow. The, the kind of intended method was just to d- destroy the lightsaber, uh, that uh, had been hidden in the, com- uh, in the cargo compartment. But that usually uh, does the job pretty well, but explosions also work. <laughs> And when the game was done, it was like two in the morning. But um, my mom told me the next day, like, man, you guys just were having so much fun. And uh, she had told me that she was a little worried when I was getting into this RPG because she had heard like, okay, some people get really, really into RPGs and it's not healthy and they'll associate themselves with, you know, the characters, you know, the chick tracked, you know, but um, she said, you know, you guys changed my mind just seeing how much fun you were having and that it was just really wholesome wow what a great that, story. i love that story because it it would i could imagine it as like a legends comic for sure yeah like, and yeah. it's totally one of those things that would happen and then no one else in the galaxy would know why that that freighter exploded they just assumed terrorists took it over and exploded they wouldn't know anything about like the heroic sacrifice behind the characters or anything like that or they wouldn't know that the galaxy is a better place because of those characters and it's just one of those stories that i can totally see like back of a cereal box like <laughs> eu like like um shadow of the empire kind of at time mm-hmm. or something like that <sighs> so yeah. great and one of the one of the players the noble actually told me later yeah all that that you know stuff that you wrote up i didn't read any of that (laughs) (laughs) there's always one he he was just he was just rolling skill checks and that was it oh oh (laughs) i love it didn't do a single noble thing except for the sacrifice (laughs) oh that's so perfect of course the guy that blows up the ship is one who didn't read any fucking thing oh (laughs) i love it that's that's legendary oh what a wonderful story well, you've you've well documented your your RPG horror stories uh, on the appropriate subreddit. I'm I'm fairly certain. Did you have any extra terrible things that you wanted to share? I I don't think so. Um, I think that my worst Star Wars stories are on there. I do have a couple Pathfinder ones that I haven't written up, but um, yeah, my Star Wars ones are on there. 
Nice. Maybe we'll link a couple of those on uh, on the on a Reddit comment or in the in the show. Oh yeah, if you like that, yeah. If you, get, if you find the time before Tuesday, if you want to send us your favorite worst ones, I will yes. absolutely put those in the description for the episode. We'll make sure they get there. All right. All right. Well, here's the here's the big one, and you're you're looking down the barrel of the gun, my friend. What's your favorite Star Wars movie? Oh, the first one. And by the first one, I mean episode four. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's I think Empire is my favorite. I'd have to say, honestly, I I love A New Hope so much just for what it is. It's it's yeah. And all the stories behind production and everything like that regarding that movie is just so incredible. I I think with everything around it and like how it was all brought together in the end is probably why it's my favorite. Yeah, no, the, the story of the story is, is truly remarkable. And I think there's a lot to glean from it too. Uh, just a legendary mm-hmm. seminal piece of work. I will say that rogue one has been uh, growing on me quite a bit. Oh yeah. That is the Swissy fans movie. Rogue one has incredible, like just the dialogue's really good. And it's yep. definitely it is 100 percent like a session, a one shot. It is a it's a Swissy one shot. It, it's totally a Swissy one. shot. Ends yeah. in mm-hmm. all character death, all these different characters being brought together. You got the two players who made their characters side by side. And oh, it's the 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 force, the monk, the blind monk and the mm-hmm. mercenary. And you're like, wow, that's such a cool idea for two player characters. It's just so much about it. Vader shows up as a force of nature. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man. You get Darth Vader in as a set piece where he just absolutely kills a bunch of dudes like yep. you see in Star Wars. And you exactly. Enjoy oh, man. Rogue One's great. That's how I use Vader <laughs> at the table, at least. Yeah, no. Rogue One showed me how Vader's meant to be used at the table. Um, just fantastic stuff. Do you remember Sam in that old, old campaign? Uh, Wyvern oh, Squadron. He, he crashed through the glass ceiling. Uh, yes. Abyss. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I do remember there's another scene we were on. I think it was a Star Destroyer and we smashed the glass on one of the windows and got Darth Vader sucked out into space because it was our only way to like get away from him. That's right. You were in orbit above Kessel and uh, you were captured by some imp officer there and he straight up called Vader. (laughs) And you had these things you might want. (laughs) Yeah. And you guys smashed the window to to get away from him. It was, it was fucking sick. Um, any EU material, uh, pre Disney days that, that sticks out to you as a, as an old love. Oh man. Of course. Uh, Zahn's heir to the empire trilogy. Absolutely. Uh, I am an absolute fan of the X wing series, uh, both Stackpole and Aaron Alston. Nice. Um, both, both the rogue and the Wraith squad and you know, fantastic. And, um, Starfighters of Adam are especially, even though it's not really as connected to the others, it's just full of hijinks and uh, humor, and it's it's wonderful. I've heard glowing things about that one, and I, I just finished uh, Zon's Thrawn trilogy myself, and uh, wow, blew my mind. I was like, here's a guy who understands how to make like a Star Wars sequel. Like it was just, I mean, okay, the ending was a little fumbled. I under, was there like some publisher problems towards the end there? Did he have to rush? The last book, I, I I feel like I heard that somewhere. Um, once the cloning no stuff idea. starts, I, I I start to lose a little interest. But it was perfectly hammy for a '90s sci-fi paperback. I think. I think my favorite uh, EU material's got to be Force Unleashed. Force Unleashed. <laughs> I mean, it's 
It's so interactive and it's fun and it's you get to you get to pull a Star Destroyer out of the sky. Like, come That's on. True. That is <laughs> you know, insane. I didn't even know I needed to do that until I did it on, on the Xbox 360. <laughs> and holy, holy Christ. Um, Sam, where uh, wh- what platform did you play that game on? I put on the DS. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> that was my, listen, that's all I had. The DS version of Force Unleashed has like the touch screen, has all the different moves on it, and you draw lines between the different buttons yeah. to do combos. Now it's fun, but boy, it was like, I, I didn't even know what Starkiller looked like until I saw like I cut a trailer for two <laughs> because like his face in the DS is just like, like gradient smooth. Yeah, it's just hooded. Yeah. Please tell <laughs> me you've no at least eyes. played the Tell me you've played the PC version since then at least. I played the PS2 one, which is okay. the the second worst one because it's yeah. not made by LucasArts at all. <laughs> Sam, please, you have it on Steam. I will buy it I for you have. on Steam. No, I have okay. it. I have it. It's okay, on my good, I've good. been thinking about replaying it recently because You need to play that game because you game. haven't actually played Force Unleashed yet. It was one of those <laughs> games that has like three different ports that were all different versions of the game. Um at least you didn't play the Wii one. I heard that one was was remarkably <laughs> terrible my my go-to star wars game was uh the original star wars battlefront 2 yeah yeah I, I was i was actually doing some math like years after it came out and realized i probably got this during release week and i didn't even realize it nice um, <laughs> but i probably put like two thousand hours into that game yeah no the especially in the instant action as a kid i was just always plugged into battlefront 2 and then later empire at war but Man, Battlefront 2 was something special. And I just say, screw Boffins. (laughs) (laughs) Screw Boffins. No video game line will ever give you the pleasure as you can now play as Luke Skywalker. Like, that is the, like, I I read that text on the screen and I'm like, yes! Yes, finally, I'm back! I'm at the top of the world again. Like, that's how it feels. (laughs) It does. That game really makes you feel like Luke Skywalker. Did you have any... Closing thoughts on on the community's present, near, and, and or far future, my friend. Um, I think it's uh, important when we're talking about the community to realize that you know it is not just a monolith. Uh, there's a lot of different people who play a lot of different ways. Um, there's some people who like you know, really really heroic games where you got you know fifty point buys or the equivalent in dice and you know, you know, free talents of rape eats and yeah, let's, let's just go nuts. Let, let's have a, a, a game where everyone is really heroic. And then you got some people who are like, yeah, let's play a gritty system. And yeah, people who are learning the game and they're doing, you know, they're, they're bringing in 5e rules and, you know, people say they're mangling the system. And then you have people who are very strict and saying, well, this doesn't really make sense realistically, but this is what's in the rules. So I'm going with that. So I think it's really important to say, as long as you're having fun, uh, you do what works for your group and, you know, try, try and, you know, work with what the system has for you. But ultimately um, you don't necessarily know what another group does. And uh, so, you know, try and just respect what people are doing. Absolutely. I don't think I could have said it any better myself. Such wise words to end on. Seriously. Uh, but before we're over, uh, Stephen, you have a very exciting project that's kind of been taking off lately that I have had the misfortune of not being able to participate in. Uh, but maybe I will one day. 
Uh, why don't you tell a little bit about your uh, Living World campaign? Yeah, so this kind of has its roots. Uh, well, I in my for my experience uh, with a campaign that Dark Lark started uh, a couple years ago, and it was a Living World campaign where it was you know just a bunch of people uh, playing together in a shared universe and a bunch of different GMs, and uh, that campaign kind of ran down, but. I started a new server with uh, a bunch of people, invited people from every, you know, every community that I could think of and said, Hey, here's a new server that's up and running and uh, you can do role play with your characters and uh, text channels. And we have different GMs who are running uh, different sessions that your characters can be a part of. And it's set uh, during, during, I believe five years after Battle of Yavin. Uh, so nice. the the emperor is is dead uh, for the first time, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, the Imperials are in charge of Coruscant. But uh, players can be a part of the Rebels, the Empire, or fringe faction. And uh, we've got different you know sessions that are geared towards uh, some of those different factions, and uh, it's a great opportunity for people to come and play. And we don't have regularly scheduled times, but um, you know, people can role play in text whenever they have an opportunity and they can play by post basically. And you can uh, join live sessions when they're offered. So I guess we can drop a link in the description. Oh, absolutely. absolutely we will hundred percent. I was yeah. very intrigued by the idea when you first, uh, first pitched it. And, um, you know, you've got like by my count, you've got close to a hundred people on there, uh, which is very, very exciting. Wow, that's a lot of people to be like seriously in a single sort of Swissy world building community. That's incredible. That's a community on its own at this point, and yeah, it's just incredible. It is, and and you know, you should be proud for for spearheading that. And I, it's like I've I've explained a million times to you, of course, with the podcast and my own campaign. I don't really have the time in my life to participate but it's something that i aspire to one day because um i just think it's such a neat idea and it, it can go really far i think i, I keep a close eye uh, not a very close eye on it you know i glance over there every now and then and it always seems like something interesting is happening so i, I hope more people hear this and, and get involved because it's really cool all right uh before we do our little closing outro uh i've been st- i've started to add a part to the show that isn't about swissy but it's more about star wars i've got like some cool fun facts that I kind of do every episode. Um, I'm sure you've heard the other ones I've done uh, this week. Or my fun fact for Star Wars is uh, Nian Numb, the alien oh, no. who sits next to Lando in Return of the Jedi. In Return of the Jedi, he's a puppet. In The Force Awakens, it's a costume. I didn't know he was a puppet in Return yeah. of the Jedi. That's sick. He's a puppet in Return of the Jedi. I remember when he was announced as a hero for uh, EA's first Battlefront. <laughs> yeah. I I nearly I nearly ripped my hair out. Um, Finally, I was yeah, like, oh no. yes, like the game didn't have like Anakin in it, <laughs> and they were like, we are adding Nina, but I'm like, oh man, <laughs> come on. Did you know that uh, he's actually speaking a real language? Yes, really? he's speaking Afrikaans. No, it's it's a it's an Ethiopian uh, student who was basically speaking his native language. Wow. Oh, OK, that's wow. That's fantastic. You brought two yeah. fun facts for the price of one. 
<laughs> you more than covered the cost of admission of being on the show, Stephen. <laughs> if someone wants to say hi or say how much they enjoyed having you on the show or ask any cool questions about anything you have think you you know, where can they reach you? Uh yeah, probably um Reddit you can find me on the Sto- uh Saga Edition subreddit. Uh you can find me on the uh Saga Edition Discord that uh the Saga Edition Discord, you know. The the <laughs> one that I think most people are aware of. Those are probably the two best places. All right, so R slash Saga Edition on Reddit, uh, a user little underscore literalist on mm-hmm. both that and the Swissy Discord. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you can reach me in those places. I'm not not going to tell you who. So just message everyone <laughs> until you find them. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Fantastic. The Dark Times is produced and edited by me, Sam. Uh, Steve today is my co-host, and Stephen oh. is our dear guest. You can reach out to the podcast at darktimesswse at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at darktimeswse. Stephen, our guest Stephen, do you have a quote for us this week? Uh, you are the chosen one! <laughs> it was said that you would destroy the Sith, not join them! <laughs> you are to bring balance to the Force, not leave it in darkness! <laughs> Fantastic. That was a Nia Nub uh, quote, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the translation of what the kid says in Ethiopian. <laughs> All righty. Oh, that's uh, great. Again, Stephen, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. And really good night, everyone. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah, good night. <laughs>